And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. All right, we are back with another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast, which you're probably wondering who this is today taking over Startup Hustle Podcast. I am Melissa Vincent. I am the Executive Director of Pipeline Entrepreneurs, and we are a fellowship for high growth entrepreneurs who happen to call the Midwest home. And we are taking over the Startup Hustle Podcast this week. And I'm joined today with one of our Pipeline members and really phenomenal entrepreneur, Leandro Castro. Hi, Leandro, how are you? Good. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Good. Thanks, thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. I was so excited to get to talk to you today. We've got a lot, obviously, to chat about. Um, but I know that uh, one of the things that you have in common with every other member of Pipeline Entrepreneurs is that you are a serial entrepreneur. And this current company that you have, Logica, where you are the chief product development officer, is your not your first startup, not your first rodeo, is it? <laughs> no, no. And... Tell us about your, tell us about you, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey, and then I'm excited to hear more about Logica. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this is not my, my first startup. I actually had another company before this. Um, it was a company called Multimechanics. Um, it was a, like a nine-year journey. Um, I was a member of Pipeline through, throughout most of that journey. Um, I started that as a project out of um, grad school and turned the research into a product, um, gained customers across the globe, raised venture capital from some large VC funds in the East and West Coast, and eventually, ultimately, ended up getting acquired by one of the largest players in our space, which was Siemens. And that was a very nice journey. Um, learned a lot, gained a lot from that. Um, super grateful for the outcome. And once I was, um, you know, off the hook and didn't have any commitments to the company anymore, um, didn't take too long to get kind of bored of, um, you know, <laughs> doing nothing and finding something else to do. Um, and, you know, decided to jump right back in. And the problem we are solving now is actually very close to us. I've ex experienced that first hand we're doing like a financial modeling software so we're basically improving the way that people do financial modeling and in, which is traditionally done in excel and we came up with a much better way to do this um, that's much more collaborative um, it's much faster to do and very very flexible too. Um, and it has been a very um, exciting journey um, we've been a little over a year in this journey now well and as a actual not only are we um, uh, part of your journey, we're actually a client in this journey. We're part of it as pipeline, as the resource that we are to Logica, but um, we're also a client. So we can I can actually attest to how great the actual 
platform that you built is, and you're actually building this company with your wife as your co-founder. So tell us about that. She's also one of our 2021 class of fellows and a really phenomenal entrepreneur herself. But what that, what is that like working with um, your spouse as a business partner? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually had the privilege to work together in the previous company too for um, several years. So when we decided to start this new company, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. And obviously we've been married for um, 13 years now. So uh, <laughs> it's actually, I think we call this like our superpower because um, we have basically unlimited access to each other, even throughout this whole pandemic when most people are remote and isolated. So we could evolve on things very quickly. We're very aligned in our core values and that helps with decision-making. Um, I, I feel like we move at a, you know, a, a light speed basically. And, yeah. and also like we <laughs> work really hard and we have, you know, we, um, working, you know, have even odd hours and things like that. So it's, um, being in the same place, um, it helps, especially in days like today where, you know, everything happens remotely. So, yes. Well, and I'm sure too that um, not every entrepreneur has the luxury of being able to have a spouse or a partner that understands um, what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I, I hear that frequently from our members who have non-entrepreneurial partners um, and spouses, and that's difficult because they don't always understand um, the long hours the level of stress when everything is sitting on your shoulders. So to have a, a co-founder who's also your spouse, I am sure that you guys get a lot done and what you've been able to accomplish in a year so far is a testament to that, I'm sure. So um, one of the things that you've accomplished this year, obviously, um, you know, Carissa getting into Pipeline and you also being part of Pipeline, you're now like not just Pipeline family, but you're like double in the Pipeline family. Um, but you also got into Y Combinator, which is not an easy thing to get into. So tell us about that process for those listening who are have the dream of getting into Y Combinator or Pipeline. Tell us a little bit about your experience with both, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, both things were um, dreams, and um, it's quite crazy that they became reality. Um, I remember the first time I started a Pipeline, the first time I got connected to some of the Pipeline members um, back in... 2012 and um you know that was actually the first time i heard the term serial entrepreneur you know people that i've you know met folks have done it um, quite a few times and have been successful and that felt very attractive to me um and that's something that i think i i placed as a as a goal as well and i wanted to be you know close to people that have done that before and kind of you know could learn from them and um and that's you know, those, I remember the first time I went to a pipeline event, that's when it clicked with me, not only that kind of journey and the, the type of people that are involved, but also like, um, finally being in a place that I felt like those are like my people, I um, can get enough of this. And I, you know, could be, um, talking to those folks like pretty much forever. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, and, and at that time I, I decided to apply to pipeline. Um, it was back in 2012, but actually I did not get into pipeline the first time I applied. Um, but I've got, um, a lot of really good feedback and I took the feedback, you know, and, and acted on it. Um, our business grew quite a lot in that, you know, year between my two applications. And then the second time I applied, um, I was able to join the class of 2013. 
And Lucky I remember 13. the moment. Yeah, yeah. And the moment I got that call was very surreal too. Um, I remember that clearly where it was and everything. So, um, and yeah, and then after that, you know, there was like uh, six years more um, with my first company. Um, and now um, in this new company here, um, Chris, I got the chance to join Pipeline too, which that's super surreal for us. Um, and it's really fun too, because then we, you know, when things open up to, we will get to go to events together and all of that. Uh, um, but then the YC experience was, was a similar experience too, um, was also a dream. Um, actually, the, the funny part is that I remember reading um, an essay from Paul Graham um, about entrepreneurship um, right before I first started my, you know, started my first company. And at the time, I didn't know who Paul Graham was or YC or anything, but the, but the essay definitely, um, you know, um, struck a chord in me. And and I remember that. And then later, I, I connected the dots that there was actually a Paul Graham um, essay. Uh, and and going through the whole, you know, so that there was always kind of like a, a dream too, and and we're able to accomplish that. But that was actually very similar too. We actually applied right when we started the company, and it was really early on, and we we didn't get in, right? Yeah. But one of our core values, it's grit, right? We don't, we don't give up very easily. <laughs> so we try it again the next time, just like I did with pipeline. And I think a very similar type of approach, I think at the end of the day, they, they sell the growth and how much we're able to evolve, you know, in a, in between applications. And, uh, there's a lot of people that can say they can do things and then you go there and you do it and you know, that puts you ahead of the game. So, well, and so one, I, I think that, you know, for those people who are listening, the serial entrepreneurial experience is very different. And so kind of just speak to that a little bit as far as um, why serial entrepreneurs are so incredibly valuable. So Pipeline plays this unique role where um, our goal is as a fellowship to help entrepreneurs, really high growth entrepreneurs in particular, um, scale and get to the next level. But there's a reason why we look specifically for serial entrepreneurs. And that is because what typically happens when you focus on serial entrepreneurs is exactly what happened with you. So you go through a company, you exit, you come right back in and you start another company. If you go through a company and it fails, you get right back up, you start another company. And when you look at the impact that someone like yourself has in successfully selling a company and then staying in the region, um, starting another company, reinvesting in both other entrepreneurs, mentorship, all of those pieces, the impact that that has regionally is just extraordinary. And so we absolutely love focusing on serial entrepreneurs because of the impact that they can have. So tell us something that while you were working on your exit from Ulta Mechanics, what's something that you learned that you want to make sure you apply with Logica? Well, there's been so many things. I think the, I'll try to highlight one, but, but the, the interesting thing is that, uh, the, the, the neat thing about, um, serial entrepreneurship is because you get to carry a lot of the lessons that you've gained and it's quite a lot and you got a chance to play the game again. Even, even if you play the game once and you won, um, there's so many mistakes that you do along the way that you, if you get the chance to do it again, you, you, you commit new mistakes, but not the, the, uh, you <laughs> not know, the, the same ones, not the same ones. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I would say like, um, one, one of the things that I've, 
I definitely learned um, in, in the first one is um, how, how long does it take to actually, you know, um, get your product market fit and how important uh, it is to get product market fit. And you cannot try to bypass that one way or the other. Um, you have to pay that price at some point. So, um, and, you know, product development cycles can get very long and it is a very crucial point to get you. And um, I'd say one, one of the lessons is to early on, as soon as possible, um, figure that part out even before, um, you know, try to scale um, too soon. Yes. And that is probably why our very first module for our fellows in Pipeline focuses on finding your target customer and understanding um, what they need so you can actually meet that need. So that is um, really, really good advice. And then what are some what are what are some things that um, as you built out logically you've already learned in the either the product market fit or just where you want to go? Well, what one thing I've learned is that um, it, you know starting a company is very much like um, uh, having a kid. Um, it's always hard, uh, even the second time. You might learn a lot of things and you might feel confident and all of that and. Uh, you get your, yeah, but, but at the end of the day, it's just really hard. There's a lot of work. Um, it's, it's less hard, but it's, I, it's not, it's true, not easy. Um, so that, that's part of the path here. Um, I'm actually quite amazed with, um, when we, you know, we've, we've been here in the Midwest this whole time and, um, and there's a lot of very, um, let's say solid, uh, mid work. Uh, Midwest advice we get uh, about profitability and things like that. And we're quite amazed by, you know, after going through the whole um, YC experience, um, that was the first time that we were, you know, in the West Coast and with like, those kinds of um, connections. And and we're quite amazed of how consistent um, the advice was to an extent, how, like, you know, you should not focus on vanity metrics and you should be, you know, very focused on your, you know, bottom line and, and your, um, you know, customers and revenue and, you know, product market fit, things like that. Um, it's, it's much less glamorous than one might think. And it's much less like, you know, it's less about PRs and tech crunch and things like that. And, and it's more about, um, you know, the, the real, the real work, you know? Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I'm also curious about, because I think it's something that um, a lot of, people who have a startup are trying to figure out. So when you looked at what was currently in the market, and as you mentioned, Excel is something that a lot of people use for their financial modeling. What was that piece that you said, oh, I know we could do this better. Was it just to make it more of an easy, was it to make it easier, faster, all the above? And why did you say, you know what? I think that we need to be the ones to solve this problem. So, so, so we experienced the problem, you know, firsthand and, and not only us, you know, by talking to a lot of, um, companies in our network, especially pipeline companies, um, uh, that, you know, eventually became customers too. Um, the, the, the pain that we we're feeling, um, wasn't limited to ourselves and, and Carissa herself experienced that in other, you know, previous roles she had to, um, in, initially the pain was really as a user. Like, I wish there was something out there. That we didn't have to spend so many hours trying to redo scenarios and redo the modeling over and over and over again. 
Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, Excel followed my journey um, all the way from the beginning through, you know, nine years and all the way through the end. I could never get rid of it. You know, it's always part of the job, one way or the other, you know. <laughs> and, and don't take me wrong, I, I do like Excel. Um, I've, I've learned how to use it, you know, over time and I have no issues with it, other than the fact that it takes a lot of time to maintain and update those things. So it's just very cumbersome. And I felt like I would spend 80% of your time um, just doing busy work to assemble those financials and things like that. And then about 20% of the time with the real value added work, which is, okay, look at the numbers now make a good decision out of that. Mm. Um, so we want to flip that and, you know, and let people spend much less time doing setup and modeling and things like that. And more time thinking about their business and the direction they want to take. And one, one of the things that it's interesting about, you know, the, the, the journey, um, you know, early on when we, we, we decided to take on this, um, I think I, 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 we had a unique take on how, how this could be better. Um, that we are proposing like a, uh, to an extent, a fundamental change, um, even though it's masked in a, in a more, in, in a more, um, normal interface, um, to an extent, um, but, but there's a fundamental change there and we, we see why, and we saw that the, what we had to bring into the market, why the reason why we, everyone kept going back to Excel is because Excel is super flexible and, um, and we knew we had to keep that. So it's like, how can you keep the flexibility? but enhance the, the, the performance, the, you know, the productivity and things like that. That was the unique insight. But I would say like one of the cool things about the, the journey is that as we start to do, you know, market research and that, and, and start to talk to other companies to see how they do things. And, you know, um, flexibility was still a very important thing. But one of the things that's very obvious too, is that the pain was so high, the people were willing to share their financials, you know, with us um so that we could help them right so like the the financials are things that you know companies keep um very confidential of course and it's you know uh, and you know the fact that we could do market research and people were willing to they had such a le high level of pain that you know someone um approaching them to try to solve the problem they would be willing to you know do that um that showed to us that there was a huge issue a huge problem um you know in terms of market size too it's it's a huge market. Um, in fact, you know, spreadsheets have been around for so long. Um, I mean, like, you know, probably like 40 years, you know, prior to Excel. And that was actually the, the single application that pretty much created the whole personal computer uh, market, right? And um, so the, the big advantage is a really large market. The, the, the challenge here is we're not the first ones that try to solve this problem. And there's been several companies that have tried before, um, some that succeeded, um, in, in, in some sectors and then it was still had some huge outcomes even, you know, within that. Um, but it's still like a largely an open problem, at least for the middle market and small companies. And that's where we are trying to solve. And we have very privileged too with the experience that we had, the resources, the network and, and on the perspective that we, we could have a good shot at solving. Yeah, so you're focusing on the small to mid-sized market, correct? Yes. Okay. And so because I've actually seen your product in action, I, from my experience, would say that, um, you know, so Excel is just, I mean, obviously, it's, it is very flexible, and that's awesome. But I, I almost feel like your tool is 
it's like a visualization tool meets Excel. So you're able to visually see things without necessarily having to once, you know, those underlying um, formulas are set up, you're really able to almost like drag and drop and move things around. So it's very visual, which I think for someone who is trying to run a startup or a small to mid-sized company, being able to visualize your financials is incredibly valuable because it's easier to see and make the right decisions when you can see it versus just a bunch of numbers and, you know, okay, like what does that look like over time? How do those projections go? And you're able to very easily tweak things and just in a glance see, okay, well, if we make this change in pricing or whatever, how does that actually change long-term? And your tool makes that so easy to accomplish. That's really phenomenal. So I, I love the product, but even more than that, I know that, um, you know, you guys have a long-term vision for where you want to see that go. And so right now you're focusing on small and mid-sized businesses. At some point, do you plan to go for larger companies or is this really just like, this is your bread and butter and this is where you kind of plan to stay and just keep working on that? The, the, the longer term um, strategy is to go up market. And, and we, we think we have the fundamentals to go there. Um, the, the platform is very generic and very um, easy to customize from a user perspective. And we've been actually quite surprised with how much larger um, customers we've been getting and the complexity there and, and how much the tool can handle even in this, you know, early, as early as we are in the journey. So we definitely see the potential to go there and that's one of the goals. Um, so we're kind of marching, you know, from the middle to the top. Awesome. And I would be remiss if I did not take a moment to say that today's episode is brought by Pipeline Entrepreneurs and that we have a fellowship for high growth entrepreneurs happen to call the Midwest home. If you are in Nebraska, like Leandro, or Kansas or Missouri, you are welcome to apply for our fellowship program starting this September. And this September, we're actually kicking off a second class of entrepreneurial programming for underserved entrepreneurs who are female, minority, or rural entrepreneurs. So it is basically pre-pipeline programming. So if you are curious about what that might be, and if you can, if you want to apply, feel free to go to pipelineentrepreneurs.com. And a huge thank you to Startup Hustle for letting us take over this week. We're super excited to be here and talking to our members. So Leandro, back to you and life after acquisition. So when you were originally working with multi-mechanics, how many was it you and a co-founder and then how how large did you scale before you got to the acquisition piece of the company yeah at some point pre-acquisition we had um about 15 people um and we raised uh, about um, three and a half million total and did you feel like and, and even as that pertains to logica i think one of the concerns about being an entrepreneur in the midwest is you can probably do a seed round definitely can find some angel capital, but when you're going to a series A, series B, it's hard to find the right funding that will allow you to stay regionally and not have to move to the coast. Did you find that at all? Or what's your take? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. It was definitely um, hard to um, fundraise um, in the Midwest. I think it was particularly harder even for us. Um, we had a deep tax solution. Um, Those very hard to understand very, um, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, so ultimately we ended up raising, um, 
capital from some large funds. Um, um, Invest Nebraska is, is the only um, local investor um, that came along. Um, but they're extremely supportive of the, the whole ecosystem. So, um, and in fact, we should have them as investors in, in this new company as well. And, but, you know, we had to really go outside um, to, to um, find the right, you know, partners. Um, we've, we found um, one of the investors was a corporate um, VC that was actually one of our main customers. Um, they obviously saw enough value in the, in the product and this, what the solution was, you know, um, bringing to them that they want to, you know, help scale that and, and, and you know, for um, expand the reach of the product. And, and we also um, got a, a fairly large um, industrial focused VC um, with offices in the East and West Coast. And those two partners were very important to you. They definitely brought a different perspective to the game. It wasn't just all about capital. Um, they also helped us. Um, one of the firms had uh, a whole back office um, that provide a lot of services from you know the finance side, HR, marketing, um, even some legal, and we're able to operate as a world-class company, even though we, you know, you know, the core team was, was much smaller, but there was a, a huge um, back office behind that, um, handling a lot of the, you know, groundwork. And on the other side, um, um, the other VC brought a lot of, um, you know, industrial connections, being a corporate VC and, um, you know, um, customer introductions and things like that. So um, those are really good partners, but we had to go outside to to get it. Um, I, I don't know if we talk to everyone um, locally, but we talk to a lot of people locally and uh, it, it's really hard to raise. And how did you, so how did you get connected to those other firms? Cause I think that's the other piece, right? Is, is network. So yeah. one it's trying, you know, you want to stay regional and you're trying to invest, you know, find local investors. So one, how did you get to those investors that were outside the area, but then two, you know, was it an issue at all for you to be able to say, hey, we want to stay here? Was there a request for you to have to move or were they, I mean, obviously they were open and willing to let you stay because you're still in Nebraska, but what was that like? Yeah, there, there was definitely a certain level of um, skepticism um, regarding the region and whether or not um, we could, um, you know, build a team here and all of this. I think um, out of the gate, um, I won't take credit for that was actually Chris's idea, but we went out and we did some recruiting at the MIT career fair. Um, we had a few spots open and we got like over a hundred applicants, top notch people, um, got, you know, got our, we managed to get our picks to move to Nebraska, you know, from Boston. And I think that uh, was a huge boost of confidence that, um, even though we are here, um, we are working on some things so interesting that people are willing to move to, you know, come and, and, and work here. And um, I think that um, diminished a lot of the concerns um, overall. And I think that was, uh, you know, but that was, the, but, but the bottom line, I think, is that right? Like, is, isn't about uh, words, you have to go out there and, and do it and, and show and, and um, it's the same thing with the whole fundraising. So people tell, you no, um, it's really easy to say no. So you just gotta go and, and talk to other folks. Um, what we did is we realized you, we had to be, uh, profitable, um, early on, um, because we are, you know, a bootstrapped company and at first, and, you know, so we had to focus on, you know, customers and, 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 and things like that. And, and that was actually, you know, one of the investors was as a, co a customer at the end. 
So it's kind of like if you do what you have to do, which is like, you know, yeah. try to solve a real problem and, and you know, bring a, a problem, uh, a solution to that problem. And, you know, eventually I think things will work out. You just should not expect um, anything to happen overnight. It takes a lot of time to build the relationships, to build the, you know, to really show that you should get the funding. Well, and for those companies, another question I know that you probably, just like I do, hear from a lot of entrepreneurs is, should I bootstrap for as long as possible? When should I raise capital? Um, giving up equity and all of that. What's your advice when someone comes to you and they're currently bootstrapping and they're considering, do I look for capital and how much control do I have to give up? And all of those kind of questions that I'm sure you get all the time. Yeah, I've, um, you know, I've, I've done both um, bootstrapping and then fundraised and then, you know, invest my own money and then um, fundraised again. And, you know, so we've seen all the, you know, the, the different sides of it. Um, I'd hate to give generic advice because it really depends on the company and the person and, and their, their own, you know, context. Um, and I'd say what do you should, for, first of all, I mean, there's a, there's a more fundamental question or whether or not um, you want to try to follow the the venture route um, because it's it's like a sport to an extent and you have to be able to play the game and be willing to play the game, which is a really hard game to play. Um, mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work and all of this. It's not the only way to, to make a company successful. There's, you know, examples um, of, of companies that manage to grow quite a lot, even when they're just bootstrapping. They're, they're more of the exception. Um, the reality is like, it does take a lot of capital to when you want to boost um, sales and marketing, um, yeah. it, it, especially if you want to do it fast. Um, but that said though, you should not bypass uh, product market fit. I think, you know, it's it's really important to, to get that phase before you, you try to deploy too much capital um, early on because um, you might be burning a lot of money just to learn lessons that you could learn in a much more efficient way. And by the time that you learn your lesson, you know, if you, if you go too far into that route, you might have lost control. And then at that point, um, you're, you're not quite a founder anymore. You're more like an employee. So there's yeah. a lot of, you know, uh, crazy stories of things like that that happen. And, um, so that's, that's the only cautionary tale. Yes. And kind of to segue with, into that is a, another topic I wanted to talk about, which is, I, I think we frequently see, um, you know, whether entrepreneurs who start their company, they have people who are working for them for practically free, they start giving out equity, and then they are trying to bring in, and they have a horrible cap table of all kinds of different situations. And honestly, some of our best members have struggled with, um, you know, not having a, their cap table be very, um, in, you know, inviting to additional capital, if you will. Um, so did you ever struggle with that as you were, when you were first starting out and did you look to say, well, okay, you know, we can't really pay employees a ton, so let's give them equity. And then what's advice you would give to someone as they're starting out and you, when you first start and you're like, I have all this equity to give, but <laughs> at some point you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually, I looked at it in, in a very objective way. Um, he, he, there's actually ways to do, you know, roughly the math of, you know, 
how much you know in theory if you should raise more money you know when you're trying to get people on board um, assuming they want to join the company and they're excited about it and they're able to you know take some sort of pay cut um you know you, you should think of them as investors right um if someone is taking like a 50k um pay cut um you know you have two options you could go out and try to raise 50k and how much of that costs you in terms of equity or you could you know um get the investor the the the, the employees should basically um you know invest pretty much like as a sweat equity um there's some nuance to there um of course in terms of you know the legal side and all of that but but objectively speaking, that's, you know, that's, that's a math exercise um, that you do. So it's uh, one, do you have the option, right? Do you have the choice? Do you, can, can you use, you know, capital from investors or do you don't have that choice? Um, and if you do, what would you prefer to do? Right. And um, it really depends to an extent um, to, you know, who are the people and, and things like that. I would say one thing that one of the dangers of um, bootstrapping and is that, um, you can go cheap on some things, and I don't necessarily mean um, talent. I actually mean like uh, it could be a talent, show, but I mean, you know, on the you know legal side, you might try to do things yourself. You might try to like figure it out, and you might try to rush um, some things because you don't want to you know spend a lot of money with lawyers or things like that, and and that might cause you to take some shortcuts. Um, it's not that they necessarily be deadly, but at some point you have to clean up. And you learn that cleaning, cleaning that up, it's more expensive than, than doing right in the first place. So that's the only, um, it's kind of to circle back even with the bootstrapped um, conversation. Um, I'm a big fan of bootstrapped companies, even though um, I'm not necessarily going that route anymore. But, um, but I know that there's a point that you start taking um, decisions that are not really good for the long haul, or they'll be expensive to, to, to fix. Yes. Well, and one of the pieces of advice, you know, that we frequently will give entrepreneurs is when you are bringing someone on board, especially in the beginning, making sure that there's a vesting schedule. So that way we've yeah. heard some horrible stories of companies where, you know, it was just two people, they gave them a ton of equity, they didn't last more than a year, it was bad, and then they had a ton of equity. So making sure that there's a vesting schedule um, when you are bringing someone on that if they leave, let's say within the first year, obviously this is not yeah. legal, this is just things that we hear, yeah. right? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, if they leave within the first year, then, you know, yeah. your equity has invested, but you're putting in parameters to protect both yourself and the company. So that way down the road, you're not stuck with potential um, in, you know, original employees that are no longer there, but are still holding a pretty significant spot on your cap table. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to have a network, um, something like pipeline, um, because you can learn from other folks that have gone through. And, and there's a lot of things that you do in the near term that might feel good, but you don't know the next phases that you have ahead of you and how that might come back to, you know, to hire you later. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of, also, there's a side of it that's even like, you know, what, what are market terms or things that people normally do? Because you'd hate to go out and try to fundraise and someone gets excited about your company and then you end up standing out for the wrong reasons, right? You stand out because you have this odd um, employment agreement or maybe you don't have an employment yeah. agreement. Yeah. Or, or, you know, your equity distribution is not right or anything like this. So you want to be, you want to be as boring as possible when it comes to those things. And that is not, yeah. that's not where you innovate or, or you know, you stand out. So. Well, and that's where, so when it comes to starting a company, 
your legal team and getting a good, you know, business attorney looking at your, you know, looking at everything is critical. But how about when you're exiting a company? What, what, what were some roles and, and some people and positions that were really valuable to you as you were looking to exit? Yeah, absolutely. So besides the, you know, um, you know, having a really good law firm behind the, the company and, and even, even personally, uh, if needed, um, but then beyond that, um, there, there are some new roles that come into play. You know, the, the, the corporate lawyers that are part of a transaction. They might be the ones that works with you for if not the whole journey, but, but, but a good part of that. Um, and so they'll be very familiar with the whole, you know, the, the legal docs and all this, and that helps too, because actually it speeds up things a lot versus when you do everything on your own or with someone else. And then, um, you know, if that final mile is with a different law firm, um, then they have to learn everything and it's more complicated. Um, there are also other players that come in as well on things like, you know, um, investment bankers, um, that can help you. Um, it's less on the legal side. It's more on the, on the transaction advice and whether or not the economical terms, um, are market or reasonable and, you know, they've seen transactions like this, like hundreds of them, like, you know, every year, um, you might see a few in your lifetime. So um, they definitely have, you know, much more experience uh, and, and sound advice for you. And so for you, when you were looking at, you know, finding an investment banker, like, I think that there is a theme, and I think this is one of the powerful pieces about pipeline entrepreneurs is that there is a there's a network of 150 members now who are all willing to, as you said earlier, kind of help you, you know, hopefully share their experiences and help you miss some mistakes along the way and and everything else. But it takes a network to be able to, you know, have people to say, well, who did you use and and was this person valuable? And thankfully, you know, we're able to offer that to our members. But for people who are maybe not a part of Pipeline, what are some good resources? Just what are are some tips or ideas to say when you're trying to find a good, you know, business attorney or business law firm or business broker, you know, how how do you find that circle of trust? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially focus here in the Midwest. Uh, I'll do a shameless plug here to um, Bart Dillashaw. Mm, uh, he's awesome. like highly engaged in the in the community, but he's really good too. Um, a lot of people probably don't know, but he came from one of the top law firms in the Valley on the on the tech space, which is Wilson Sonsini. Um, so we are very privileged to have someone here locally that has that level of talent and experience. Um, so um, and, and he's also, you know, very reasonable with his fees. So um, I think that's a, an easy resource to leverage um, from a local perspective. Um, I would say, you know, uh, if, if you have the privilege to, to join pipeline or something like this, things, um, get much easier, but I would say uh, people are still like, I, um, I, I know the, the pipeline members, um, the experience ones that they, um, help other folks through outside yes. of the network and things like that. So there's a lot of mentorship going on. There's a lot of, you know, um, people helping each other regardless. Um, and so I would, I would encourage people to reach out to whoever are, you know, the, the, the pipeline members um, in their area, to kind of, you know, talk, um, time, time is very precious. So, um, you know, you have to be a little patient there, but, you know, but with enough uh, for scheduling, um, everything can be done. Yes. And for those of you listening, it is, uh, 
our week at Pipeline Entrepreneurs to take over the Startup Hustle podcast. So thank you so much to Startup Hustle for letting us take over this week and share our stories. If you are in Missouri, Nebraska, or Kansas, and you have a startup and would like to be a part of our fellowship, you can go to PipelineEntrepreneurs.com, click on the application tab, and apply to be a member of our program. So we're super excited about that coming up this September. Um, and we are talking with Leandro Castro, who is a serial entrepreneur. This is not the first time that he has built a successful company and just asking questions and all the things that we hear from members, fellows, people in the community about how to start a successful company, how to exit a company. And since we're wrapping up today and we're talking about life after acquisition, what was, what was, so when you were look when you were leaving, um, and I hear this a lot as well, was it hard to, were you, were you still part of the transition team through the acquisition? Yes, I was part of the team through, through, through the acquisition and, um, throughout the whole process, um, I'd say, you know, um, leaving, you know, thinking about leaving wasn't an easy uh, thing. You know, you have a lot of mixed emotions. Um, there's a side of you that's very excited about, you know, the the success of the exit and, you know, that, that side of it, you kind of, you know, crossing the finish line and all this. Um, to an extent, that's, that's one of the main um, goals of the, the whole journey. And, you know, it's like you're crossing the finish line of a marathon. So that all feels great. At the same time, too, um, you know, you, you build a lot of relationships, friends, you know, um, with like, you know, customers, employees, all of that. And, and, and to an extent, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of your identity that's um, associated with that. So stepping out of that is, is definitely, uh, can create a certain level of anxiety. Um, I was actually quite surprised with, um, um, much more than I thought how easy it was to, um, um, transition, um, from that, um, after it was all over, said and done. And I'm very happy with this new phase now and um, super proud of where you accomplished um, before and very excited for what's going on right now and, and the things that will come in the future, so. Well, we are super excited to watch you and Logica continue to grow and we're just appreciative of your time today on the podcast. And so thank you for making the time. Thank you for being part of our pipeline family. Um, and thank you most of all, the Startup Hustle for welcoming Pipeline Entrepreneurs and taking over the Startup Hustle podcast this week. We have loved having the opportunity to spotlight some of our former fellows and look forward to welcoming next year's class to the Pipeline family. So be sure to check out our fellowship program by visiting us at PipelineEntrepreneurs.com. And with that, Leandro, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Appreciate Startup Hustle and look forward to seeing what Logica does going forward. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Bye. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.